and welcome to the second of our podcast episodes on Magna Carta 1215. Where we left it is we'd been through the collapse in the relationship between King John and his barons, which led us up to the point where King John, cornered and with no other alternatives, is forced to deal with the demands of the barons. Now, one of the things to remember here is a lot of people say that King John signed Magna Carta. It's a tiny, tiny little point, but he didn't. He affixed his seal to it. So you should never say that the king signed Magna Carta. He didn't. He fastened his seal to it. He agreed to it. As a little aside, as an interesting little historical factoid there, that a great number of the medieval kings of England could read, but they couldn't write. Because writing was... It was a middle-class activity. It was a scribe's job. Why should a king learn to write when he's got people to do that for him? He has no need to know how to write. He speaks. Other people write things down for him. So generally, when you come to actually affix, agree to things, you affix your seal to it. You don't actually sign your name. Well, what was it then that King John actually affixes his seal to? What is it he agrees to? Well... There's a large number of clauses dealing with quite small and quite petty problems that the barons have with the things the king has been doing. Some of them to do with fishing rights, some of them to do with the amount of tax, some of them to do with weights and measures and things like that. From our point of view, when we're talking about the transfer of power from the crown to the people, there are a couple that are probably more important than others. The first of these is Clause 12 of Magna Carta. Clause 12 states that there can be no scootage imposed on the country without their consent. Now, scootage, you'll remember, is the tax that people can be forced to pay instead of providing military service. But the key thing is not the no scootage. The key thing is without consent. And here you can see the very beginnings of the idea of somebody other than the king being responsible for the raising of taxes. Somebody other than the king being responsible for providing the money. You cannot tax people without consent. And that is going to be a major issue right the way through to the American Revolution. Next, Clause 39. No freeman can be imprisoned or have his land seized or any other bits and pieces except by the lawful judgment of his equals. Remember, King John was locking people up left, right and centre. He was taking hostages. Well, here, now, they can't be. They can't just be locked up on the king's say-so. There has to be a judgment by their equals. This is the beginning of trial by jury, the cornerstone of English jurisprudence, of crime and punishment. The idea that you are not guilty until a jury of your peers, of your equals, has said that you are guilty. This is a fairly major breakthrough, and it also takes away one of the key powers of the king, this idea that he can just disappear people. Then we have Clause 40, and it says... To no one will we sell, deny, or delay justice. Now, the key thing here is it says to no one. It presupposes a level of equality between all of the people in the kingdom. 
But again, the idea that you cannot simply be locked up and imprisoned for ages until the king decides to let you go. You will have justice, and you will have it soon, and it cannot be based on your ability to pay. All of those are quite nice, and they all feed into an idea here, which is the idea of limiting the power of the king. But none of them is probably as important in terms of limiting the power of the king as Clause 61. Clause 61 is concerned with ensuring that the king abides by the rest of the clauses. And in order to do this, a group of 25 barons is elected from the number of the other barons in order to watch the king to ensure that he keeps to the terms of the charter, to ensure that Magna Carta is enforced. And the way the clause is phrased is loose enough to suggest that they could, if necessary, take armed action against a king who was not abiding by the terms of the Magna Carta. So why does this document matter? Well, as you can see from just going through those clauses, what we're looking at here is something which limits the power of the king. Remember, you've got absolute monarchs coming from William the Conqueror and all his descendants. They are the absolute power. They decide who gets the land. They decide who gets the taxes. They decide who fights when and where. But now, Magna Carta says, there are limits on what you can do. You cannot impose scootage without consent. You cannot imprison people without the judgment of their peers. You cannot deny justice to people. And we will be watching. And if you are not abiding by the terms of this, we will take action. That's a fairly major step. So I suppose the question you have to ask yourself is, why did John sign it? Well, he had absolutely no intention of abiding by it. He signs it as a delaying tactic in order to allow him to prepare his defences and prepare a counterattack against these rebel barons, which he does. And that gets us into what is called the First Barons' War. I suppose the interesting thing about the First Barons' War is that John Softsword, John Lackland, this person who's been absolutely appalling in all forms of military activity up to this point, suddenly discovers a hitherto unexpected ability to fight. And he actually starts to win. And at that point, the barons look for help outside, and they actually draft in uh, Prince Louis of France to come over and take the throne. They're actually willing to replace King John. He is that bad, and he is not agreeing to abide by Magna Carta. As it happens, that doesn't become necessary, because in 1216, King John dies, apparently from food poisoning, we think. He ate some bad eels or some bad whelks or something like that. And once he's out of the picture, the barons are quite happy to accept his son onto the throne as long as there is a council of barons to run the country until he's old enough, because the son is just an infant at this point. So, the Magna Carta itself is never put in force as soon as it's signed in 1215. It becomes ratified in 1216 after the death of King John. What, therefore, is the impact of this? What is the significance of Magna Carta?
You can look at this in two ways. In the short term, Magna Carta is responsible for the Barons' War. It is, in the short term, the first time any king of England has agreed to a limit on their power. And that makes it quite significant at the time. It's a major concession the barons have won. Now, the king does not abide by this, but once King John is dead and out of the picture, Magna Carta is reissued again and again and again, and it also forms the basis of Simon de Montfort's claims about how the country should be run, which we'll come to in the next episode. So short term, it causes the barons' war, it leads to... Uh, the replacement of John by his son and a council of barons. The long term, it's the ideas. This is where the significance of Magna Carta lies. This idea that the king is not absolute, that the king cannot do whatever he wants, that there are limits on royal authority. That idea enshrined in Magna Carta is the most important thing. And that idea that we are watching you and we will ensure you do your job, that can be seen right the way through to the 1600s. That is present in the trial and execution of Charles I. That is the ultimate expression of the idea that the king is not above the law, which is what Magna Carta is saying. And if you want an example of the king not being above the law, how about the king being put on trial by his own subjects on a charge of treason? It also provides an inspiration for other people who are looking to declare their freedom and their power. Uh, an excellent example of this is the American Declaration of Independence. The Americans like Magna Carta even more than the English do. They enshrine several of the clauses of Magna Carta as part of their constitution. And again, uh, India, when India gains independence after the Second World War, again, Magna Carta becomes part of the blueprint for what they're doing. So, I suppose you can say that in the short term, the document itself doesn't have a huge impact in the way power works. And you'll see that by the time we reach uh, 1265, not a lot has really changed in terms of the relationship between the king and the barons. But in the long term, the ideas contained within the Magna Carta will continue to echo throughout the next 800 years, right the way through to today. And they will become the bedrock, basically the spine of this entire theme study. Listen to these two episodes together, why Magna Carta happened, what the terms of it were, and what the impact of it was. And then... Remember those key ideas, the idea that the king is not above the law, the idea that there are limits on royal authority, and track those ideas as we go through the rest of the topic. Thank you very much for listening. Good luck in your exams.